Ascending Olympus, the Inner Sanctums Olympics podcast. I'm your host, Jackie, and today I'm joined once again by Dan, and we've brought back Sarah to room just a couple of days ago as well. So how are you today, Sarah? I'm doing well, thanks, Jackie. Pleased to be back on. Glad that you could uh, bring me back on for another daily update. And what about you, Dan? I'm excited. We've got competition in the swing of things. We've got big news, and it's all starting to get very real. It's uh, day minus one today, which still sounds kind of weird to say, but there's certainly been plenty happening. Yeah, at least we'll have the opening ceremony tomorrow and we can be like, ah, normal Olympics things. Uh, So we'll start the news with actually a qualifier, which is pretty exciting. And that is that Aussie steeplechase runner Ed Trippers has qualified two and a half hours before the qualification deadline for the 3000 meter steeplechase event, which is insane when you know that he had to shave 12 seconds off his time to qualify in the past couple of months. It's just, it's crazy. I mean, the fact that it's been so fine um, and he still managed to do it is fantastic. Um, I can't believe that actually you can still qualify. That was one of the things that shocked me was that with at the time that he qualified, it was about 48 hours to the opening ceremony or not even, it was, you know, 28 hours to the opening ceremony and he was still apparently within the window. And I thought that with all the quarantine arrangements and everything required, the quarantine or the qualifying window would have closed already. You would think that. Um, But, yeah, he obviously in Spain managed to get it in, I think it's about two and a half hours before the cutoff. So that's an incredible effort um, to get it in in time. And now he's on a plane to Tokyo. Yeah. And... We always love to hear good Aussie stories and the fact that he was very up and down with his qualifying times over the past couple of months trying to get to that golden eight minutes and 22 seconds, that the fact that from one race to the next, he went from eight minutes 40 to eight minutes 19 is ridiculous. He obviously didn't perform at his best, but then turned around and performed the best he's ever done within like a couple of weeks is just it's quite inspiring, like, when you put it in simple words, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, one of the really good news stories of the Games. And, um, you know, it'll be great to have him in the village when he joins over the next few days with all of the other Australian athletics contingent. But there was plenty of good news um, going around today because we had, um, obviously, the announcement of Brisbane 2032 last night. And this morning, uh, one of the comments that caught my eye was Kurt Fernley. Um, Fernley, as a multi-Paralympic uh, gold winner, is obviously a, a pretty big advocate for the importance of the Paralympics. And he talked about the fact that it was even more emotionally, satisfi- emotionally satisfying for him to see both the award to Brisbane and the commitment from the Brisbane pitch to really kind of make sure that disability and disabled sports are, are focused for the next generation and not just for the Games. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that I noticed yesterday watching the um, presentation and all the emphasis on it's the Olympics and the Paralympics. So when we said that there was the Olympics announcement for 2032 last night, everyone meant both and we should be saying both when we're talking about it. Um, It's incredible the way that they have put that at the forefront of their 
um, campaign to host the 2032 Games and it, it's so exciting for young people with a disability and other athletes as well to see um, all these incredible, inspiring multi-Paralympians um, talking about what it means to them. Yeah, and we've, like, talked about quite a few Paralympians just on and off over the past couple of weeks. And we've got, like, seven-time Paralympians going this year, five-time Paralympians. And whilst a lot of them will not be able to compete in 11 years' time, we will also have new multi-Paralympians by that time, as well as all these kids that are just, like, 10 to 12 years old and younger that will be making their Paralympic debut in Brisbane, in our home country. And it's just looking in Australia, I think there has been a bit more of an emphasis on the Paralympics for Tokyo 2020. A lot of the ad campaigns include both para athletes and then Olympic athletes. And that is so positive about the growth of the Paralympics and the fact that it is now being recognised as equal to rather than just like, the event that happens after the Olympics that a lot of people end up forgetting about. Yeah, absolutely. And and we saw that moment kind of for me, the moment that it really struck home was at the swimming trials um, when we had them televised here in Australia. And we saw that in the primetime slots were the Paralympic athletes qualifying as well. And, you know, we got to learn a bit about Scooter Patterson and Ahmed and, and their friendship and their history of competing together and training together. And, and those moments both kind of really engage everyone in Australia with the Paralympics, but also make the Paralympians more accessible to both, you know, kids able-bodied and disabled in Australia and, and get inspired by them. So I think it's really great. And it was great to see uh, Kurt Fernley this morning kind of be one of the people that they spoke to in the media and got comment from um, as a former Paralympian. And, and that's really exciting. But uh, we'll move on to sport from here because... Day negative two still featured plenty of softball and some men's football instead of the women's today. So, Sarah, you had a bit of a look at the softball. Yes, I watched all three softball matches today and I have to say they all three gripped me. Um, it was so exciting to watch. Uh, started out with the USA versus Canada. Uh, USA took the win there um, and then we followed into Mexico versus Japan. And this was the one that really intrigued me. Mexico, not one of the favourites for this competition. Japan beat Australia 8-1 yesterday. So going into it, you thought Japan would dominate, um, but they didn't. They really didn't. Um, it was a super, it was a quality match and it went right to the very end. So it actually went at the end, bottom of the seventh. It went into extras, which basically is the first to score from my understanding, or that's what it looked like today at least. Um, so they had, they put a runner on the second base um, and then basically play out normal three outs um, and Japan scored. So they did get the win, but it was didn't come easy against Mexico, that's for sure. Um, did either of you catch any of that? Yeah, I did. It's, it's bad to say that like when the Australians played, that was actually the more interesting match of the day overall but from going to extra innings the fact that Japanese were 2-1 up for quite some time and then suddenly Mexico were back in it and it was going to extra innings but also then um, in a strange moment where the umpire that is on home base got hit in the face guard and all the players 
on the Japanese side at least, like rushed to make sure she was okay. They gave her time and respect. It was apparently like 32 degrees or something as well. And it would have been quite humid in Japan on today. So they were out there for quite a few hours and it was just a phenomenal match to watch overall. Um, you could see that Wayno, who is Japan's pitcher and pitched for majority of the seven innings, I think she went deep into the seventh, but not the full seventh inning before she was switched out. She's just a superstar, like clearly Japan's best pitcher. And at the same time, um, just the stamina to keep pitching when she pitched six innings yesterday, seven today. Um, and whilst probably fatigue was what resulted in that extra run getting scored by her and also a misfield by the Japanese. It was still just a great watch overall. It, it definitely was, yeah. Um, I've been to Japan at this time of year. It is very hot, can confirm, very hot and humid. So um, being out there for a few hours pitching like that, it, yeah, it's an incredible effort of endurance and um, very good to see Japan get another win um, in their home games so then we float on to Australia versus Italy which was obviously quite an exciting match for us we did get the win one to zero uh so it was an interesting game Italy really started out quite um attacking in the first few um innings they were they sort of showed their uh, intent, um, but Australia were able to get their outs. And at the bottom of the second innings, Taylor Sitsukrona scored courtesy of a jade ball to our infield single, um, and Australia was on the board. Yeah, and, and they kind of kept the score that way all the way through. It looked like neither side was going to be able to break the deadlock until the bottom of the seventh when all of a sudden Italy managed to get runners on second and third. Um, and that was when... Australia made the pitching change and brought in Ellen Roberts um, to close. And she was brought in with one out to get um, runners on second and third, um, which I imagine is a pretty daunting situation. But they talked about her experience coming in in the death like that and the fact that she wanted the ball in her hands and it looked like it, the way she stood on the mound, warmed up and then just pitched like her life defended on it. And she, you know, she killed it in the end. Um getting that third strike and just kind of ending the game for Australia. It was a real strong clutch effort from Roberts and, and the whole team to kind of keep their cool with the fielding throughout the last innings and make sure that they didn't have any sloppy errors. I think I understood today finally what Jason's been saying about who is the inner sanctums baseball and softball expert above and beyond, but that Australia is a really strong defensive side. And it's the fact that we defended that one nil lead for six innings that it was just like, oh, okay, now now I get it. Like it's both the fielding and the fact that our pitches are just fantastic. It's just a shame we couldn't put more runs on the board, I'd say, more than anything else. We definitely yeah. had our opportunities too, that's yeah. for sure. We had, yeah, runners on first, second and third sometimes and we just couldn't close it out. But, yeah, definitely would have been nice to get a few more on the board. Yeah, and we talked about Wayno's brilliant stamina to be able to pitch basically two full games, but... Uh, Kaya Parnaby did the same for Australia. She pitched almost all of yesterday and then pitched six and innings and two outs today um, and wasn't quite able to make it happen um, in the end. And they did run that pitching switch, but she also pitched all day and looked great doing it. So moving on to football, which was the first day of the men's under-23s campaign for the Olympics, because unfortunately we don't get to see the senior men play at the Olympics, unlike the women's. 
big day overall. We've still got like four matches going right now, including Australia. So we'll start the day with what is the other half of Group C, which is the group Australia is in, formally known as the formal, like black tie, known as the group of death because Egypt and Spain had a nil-all draw in what was, in my opinion, because I watched the whole game, pretty lackluster game overall. There wasn't too much going on that was interesting. Um, Not everyone's a fan of Spanish-style football. I don't think that was the problem. I just think it was quite slow. Both teams had chances, but were just unable to capitalise at all. Yeah, it was really interesting. We saw um, obviously some quite slow games today, and then we saw kind of the opposite where Mexico just absolutely got on top of the French and just kept it up all the way through um, with a pretty dominant 4-1 score that's a bit of a warning shot. Um, I think a lot of countries weren't expecting Mexico to be the kind of favourite or or one of the better-performed teams out of the first day of competition, but they absolutely look like it. with that. And France's only goal came through a penalty. So it was very dominant from Mexico from what I watched of the match. Yeah, I was listening to the match. I wasn't actually watching. I was doing other things at the time. But it was when I heard about the penalty and then it was just like France score and even it up. And then very quickly it was like Mexico scored. And now Mexico scored again. And it was 3-1. And then that fourth goal came pretty quickly as well that I was just like, Ooh, France is actually really like missing um, players because I know Mbappe is uh, PSG didn't release him, I believe it is the club, um, which he would have been their star at this Olympics easily. He's the like senior team star, so it's interesting that one player being missing and there's probably a couple of others just not being out on loan from their clubs that they're now going to struggle and might not even make it out of the group stage at this rate. Um, If we look onto the other matches, New Zealand versus South Korea resulted in a 1-0 win for New Zealand, which I found quite surprising. I'll admit I did not watch this match, but I would have thought that the Korean team would have been the stronger of the two and the favourites heading in. And the fact that the Kiwis have stolen a win here is awesome to hear for our neighbours just across the sea. Yeah, absolutely. And that's probably one of the the upsets. The other one that kind of surprised me a little bit is uh, Cote d'Ivoire beating Saudi Arabia 2-1. I wasn't really sure what to expect, I guess. Um, Cote d'Ivoire obviously have a fair bit of high-level football history from sort of a decade, a decade and a half ago with the likes of Didier Drogba. But the fact that they've brought obviously some talent to the Olympics, and this is obviously another game I didn't watch, but... Um, it's a pretty good sign and, and the highlights looked pretty good. The, both the goals were quite athletic, so that's really nice to see. Um, and it looks like they'll play exciting football, whatever happens. Um, I can't promise they'll go all that deep to the medals, but they're going to be good to watch in the meantime. It was a pretty passionate game. I probably watched 20 minutes of the second half, I think it was. Um, Saudi Arabia were 2-0 down at that point. Uh, but, yeah, very spirited um fair bit of arguing with the ref going on from both sides, which you kind of like to see in some football matches, I reckon. Um, Now we'll talk about the live matches a little bit. We'll save the Aussies to the end because hopefully it'll be done or close to done. Currently, Japan and South Africa are at a nil or draw, which doesn't sound like there is any chance of breaking the deadlock at this point. 
Honduras and Romania, uh, Romania is up 1-0. And then Brazil versus Germany, not having a 7-1 repeat of 2016. It is now, what, Daniel? It's 3-0 and they're coming for 7-1. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to stake anything on it because I think there's only 20 minutes left in the game, but I don't think that the wounds have healed. And I think that there was certainly some, probably some firing up from either side before about either avenging the results or keeping that famous uh, record intact. So I think that the Brazilians were always going to be uh, one of the sides to watch for the games. Um, you know, they come in with that really proud history and, and they've won gold previously. And we know there's plenty of talent and it's been on show because Germany is quite a good team, but by the looks of that scoreline, they've been a little bit outclassed tonight. Yeah. And it should be noted that Germany is wearing black armbands tonight uh, for the victims of the flooding that is going on in West Germany and in parts of Western Europe. And it is good to see that even though at the Olympics they're still honouring families and other members of the German community that are, of course, very much affected by a huge natural disaster. Uh, but let's talk about the Aussies <laughs> <laughs> and the Oli Roos. Terrible transition. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, it's an exciting game. We've all kind of got one eye on it as we sit and record and it looks like the game's been you know, for the most part, pretty exciting. And there's been a little bit of chaos. It looked like just before halftime, the ref seemed to have an open wallet and was handing out cards to anyone he could see, um, <laughs> which of course resulted in what I'm sure tomorrow morning will be a controversial red card. Um, but it looks like the Aussies are on top for the moment. And with the extra man, you have to think that they're going to try and push on and increase that lead. Yeah, so we're currently 1-0 up. Uh, Wales scored in the 14th minute, which sounds weird considering the country is at least not playing at the Olympics. But what we've been watching so far, both teams have had chances, but I think the Australians have actually looked closer to getting their second quite a number of times than Argentina's looked actually getting their first. Maybe that's just me being biased, but I don't know. What do you Part of that's probably also the numbers game now. Um, for all of the second half, the Argentinians are playing a man down um, and it does tend to create chances. There's a reason that it's a pretty significant penalty um, in that it is supposed to be a disadvantage to your team. Um, and it looks like that's the case at this stage. So um, with just over 10 minutes left, we're certainly cheering that the Australians can kind of keep the momentum going. Absolutely, yeah. It's It's been an exciting match from uh, the very start, that's for sure. Plenty of chances for the Aussies um, to get that first and then also to get a second. Um, I'm, I'm keen to see what they can do in this tournament, actually, because if we're going by this match, um, it could be an exciting tournament for us. Not sure how far we'll get, but, hey, if we can get a 1-0 win over Argentina, anything can happen. Yeah, especially when that Egypt-Spain game was... It's harsh to say boring, but it was boring. And the fact that it was um, flat in the sense of the scoreline as well is it's, we're the only team that's scored in this group so far. And whilst there's all the possibility that we get touched up two games in a row, if we walk away from this Olympic campaign with a win against Argentina, that is such a massive boost for Australia's campaign. And if anyone could actually see Dan, we've clearly just scored. <laughs> With an unbelievable goal. My goodness, that was brilliant. I, I don't yet know who it was. I don't know what happened, but it is an unbelievable second goal um, from long range. 
And now that everyone else has seen it because their internet's not on delay anymore. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. That, that is. And he's just come on. He was substituted on about 45 seconds earlier. I still it's probably don't know who it is. first or second touch. Tilio, with what must be his first or second touch, has just gone absolutely bonkers with that shot. Um, and Australia's 2-0 up with 10 minutes to go. I think at this point we might call it quits for the podcast tonight <laughs> because we're going to go and watch the rest of this game. But we'll be back again tomorrow night. Everything we write about you can see on the innersanctum.com.au, including our Olympics hub with a daily recap, an Aussie recap, and a live blog once the game's actually officially open. We've got previews of all the sports, and you can catch us on Ascending Ollie Pod on Twitter and the Inner Sanctum underscore AU on Twitter. Um, so follow us there, and we'll be back tomorrow night with more updates.